Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Seller Beware and it's talking about pricing models that can break your business. For the second half of the episode, I'll be talking about a few ways to keep an open mind as a founder when you're in the middle of things. But first, pricing models. Let's get started. There are a lot of great ideas when it comes to optimizing your pricing to attract more customers or keep them retained. Two pricing models can be hazardous if not implemented carefully, and that's freemium accounts and lifetime accounts. Let's talk about the risks of freemium accounts first. A freemium pricing model can be great to get people to use your product, integrating it and eventually starting to pay for it. It can also be very dangerous to your business if it allows customers to use the product extensively without ever needing to pay for it. Setting clear limits that are quickly reached when the product is used in a revenue-generating way is paramount here. Businesses like Metrics almost went out of business because freemium users cost infrastructure costs to skyrocket by using the product in unlimited and unmetered ways. When Metrics released its freemium product, thousands of businesses signed up. And they imported their payment provider data into the Bermetrix system and the onslaught of data was so intense that they had to scramble to provision new servers. And it took them a lot of work to be able to handle the load. At the same time, customer support queries grew because those new users needed assistance. Without making an additional dollar's worth of revenue, they now had to pay more for infrastructure and their paying customers had to wait longer to get support. If you want to hear the full story, go and check out Josh Pickford's podcast, Founder's Journey, and there it's episode 14. It's the ultimate cautionary tale when it comes to freemium. If you try to attract customers using the freemium model, make it really hard for them to earn money without paying you. At least that way, once a user derives meaningful value from your service, they have to start paying. You can accomplish that by turning key features into paid-only options or instituting limits that are hard to reach for an amateur, but easily reached by a professional. Usually, this scales along with the value metric of a customer, like the amounts of successful purchases in an e-commerce store or the number of photos uploaded to an image upload site, for example. The risk for freemium to hurt you increases tenfold when you need paying customers to offset the cost incurred by your freemium users. That's why I recommend setting limits that both keep your customers from making too much money off the free tier of your service and keep your customers from overwhelming your infrastructure by using the service extensively. Be advised that many third-party services charge by active users. So if you integrate something like Intercom, they will charge you depending on the amount of users that are using your product where you integrate their product. Unless your paying users can offset that kind of cost, using the freemium model can be very prohibitive. It's just, it's prohibitive to choosing the right integrations for your service or anything like that due to the very high number of non-paying customers. Particularly if you implement freemium later during the course of your business, this might cause you a lot of financial stress and unexpected stress at that. Whenever you choose to use a customer-facing service, look at what will happen when your user count changes by order of magnitude. It's really important. You don't want to get an invoice over a couple thousand dollars 
when you're just at an MRR of like $500 or $600 at that point. So be super careful here. And finally, freemium plans might really cannibalize your paid plans as well. Every free plan user is a user that could be on a paid plan if you didn't have a freemium option. Think about it like this. If the customer would have paid, you don't capture their revenue. If they wouldn't have paid anyway, why would you want them as a customer? I think that's it for freemium. Let's talk about the other kind of dangerous plan here. And that's the lifetime account and the risks in that. Lifetime accounts are quite similar to freemium in some way as the danger also lies in resource consumption that after some time exceeds the money they paid for the product. Right? The cost is higher than your gains, your revenue at that point. For a customer, lifetime means their own lives. That's how most customers understand what lifetime means. While for most businesses, the lifetime in question is that of the current iteration of the product. This can be quite confusing and it usually leads to bad blood once the perceived forever account gets migrated into some other kind of plan, like a monthly or yearly plan. These accounts are great to raise initial capital for business, but they create a lot of pain and they become liabilities in the later stages of a business. Particularly when you intend to sell the business at some point, stay away from lifetime accounts or try to reduce their number significantly. Lifetime accounts also often signal that the business is in a bad financial state. If you were confident that your subscribers would stay with you for their lifetime, why take so comparatively little money up front? It's a value perception problem. Lifetime accounts also attract less than desirable customers. The expectations you set up by offering a paid service for life can be insurmountable. With a recurring subscription fee, you can at least defend that the customer has the right to claim your assistance again and again. But what will happen when a customer who paid what in most cases is just a few hundred dollars for lifetime access to a service reaches out to you every few days, holding your attention for hours? These expectations will be hard to fulfill, even if your customers are not pathologically complicated. It's just an expectation management problem. With a lifetime account, you have to be absolutely clear what lifetime means. Is it the lifetime of your customer? Your lifetime? The lifetime of the product in this version? In all versions? Is it the lifetime of the lifetime offer? The moment your customer understands lifetime to mean something else than what you intend to be, there will be very uncomfortable conversations in your future. But it's not just risks though. Because both freemium and lifetime accounts can work for your business. When applied consciously and with the right strategy, either can provide a benefit to a bootstrap business when applied temporarily. Slack uses the power of freemium to get people to join free self-organizing communities, like the open source communities, only to later have the same people carry the paid version into the day jobs and the businesses and then charge those businesses. Zapier offers a free forever plan that similarly converts free users into customers once they require more advanced solutions to their integration problems. Both companies treat their free users as valuable customers because they know that conversion rates are high because they have a good product and a single user can turn into a lead catalyst for the 50,000 employee organization they work for. So there's a lot of amplification in there. Some businesses that 
desperately need cash up front, sold a few lifetime accounts to their earliest customers, and that gave them the funds that they needed to jumpstart a business that can survive long enough for recurring revenue to establish. And that's great. But lifetime accounts are just that, a temporary cash injection that after a while might turn into a drain on your resources. And I I don't think it's just might to, it will turn into a drain on your resources. It's just a mathematical problem at that point, how long it will take. Whatever you do, revisit your choices every few months. Keep your eyes on the customer acquisition costs and the lifetime value of your users and how it changes when you implement these kind of accounts. Once those metrics show a tendency towards negative revenue, be prepared to phase out those offers and work, I guess, diligently on trying to upgrade people onto a paid plan by just telling them or providing information that the product has improved and the, that your perception of lifetime ends at a certain point. I know it's a hard conversation to have, and I don't think there's a really easy way to do it, but if your whole business is threatened because uh, you're losing revenue in a potentially dangerous way, you will need to have these hard conversations. Generally, adding one more customer to a software service won't cost you much, right? So the marginal cost of SaaS businesses is near zero in many cases. If this is true for your business, you can definitely experiment with these pricing models. Just make sure you don't wipe out potential recurring revenue streams indefinitely by giving customers subscription options that give them a lot of value without compensating your business for providing it. Both freemium and lifetime accounts can attract the kinds of customers that you might also not want to serve. When in doubt, stick with monthly and yearly subscription after an extensive trial phase. That seems to work for most businesses in the best way. That that way you'll see if customers are with your business because you provide them enough value continuously or if they are there for other reasons that are not in your interest because if they're not, they will cancel. And when it comes to making sure you provide the best product, a cancellation is a clear indicator that you need to work on it still. That goes for the quality of the product, that goes for your pricing models, your monetization strategy. If people cancel, if there's churn, reach out to them, figure out why they churned, and figure out if there was a mismatch in expectations. All right, I think that's it for pricing models that can break your business. Next up, keeping an open mind when you're in the middle of things, after this. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the Bootstrap Founder community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is LipPixel, a powerful image processing infrastructure for your apps. LipPixel is a developer-focused product, and it supports indie founders right up to enterprise without compromising on the ease and simplicity of the product. Whether you're building a SaaS, an e-commerce, or publishing site, LipPixel solution can improve the load times, which then improves the Google rankings and the UX of your product. What's not to love? Your LipPixel friends are up against stiff competition with the pockets and VC backers, so they've opted for a different path. Go reach out at lippixel.com to see what they can do on a bespoke pricing model. They're happy to support any indie founder. That's lippixel.com. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, who are sponsoring this, or even just say thanks for the folks at Balsamic for supporting the community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrapped founder. Right, today, I want to take a few minutes to talk about keeping an open mind when you're deep in the operational craziness that is running a business. 
or even just dealing with a day job, a number of side projects, and a family life at the same time. I know it's hard to focus on anything but your business. There's just so much to do, so many things to take care of, but the most important thing to take care of is you. If you get derailed too much, everything around you starts falling into chaos. If you develop tunnel vision, your actions can lose touch with the realities that they're supposed to shape. In many ways, you can become your own worst enemy unless you regularly check in with yourself and course correct. I believe that there are two things that will help you taking care of yourself, exposure and awareness. And central to both of these is the detection and reversion of cognitive bias in yourself. Not checking under which biases you operate will lead to tunnel vision, and it will make you work less effectively. If you want to claim that you're thinking rationally most of the time, you need to be aware of the times when you're not. Cognitive biases are what makes us human. They're shortcuts in a life filled with complications. They are years of stories, instincts, and past decisions all mingled into cognitive time savers. They're sometimes right, maybe even often, but they are not rational thoughts. They're shortcuts. If you want to build a business that changes your life, it should not be built on shortcuts. The biggest bias a founder of a bootstrap business can have, in my opinion, is thinking that you know for sure what you're doing. There's a saying that the man who knows everything learns nothing. But even after having read all the business books and all the blogs and listened to all the podcasts in the world, there will still be challenges that you cannot imagine until you're confronted with them. I asked a question on Twitter this week about things that people learned that are not necessarily business or tech related, but had a big impact on their lives. And Simon Manson quoted Factfulness, the book by Hans Rosling. And here's the quote. Great knowledge can interfere with an expert's ability to see what actually works. All these solutions are great for solving one problem, but none of them will solve all problems. It's better to look at the world in lots of different ways. What a quote. Perspective is the most important thing to have, to retain, and to invite into your mind. If you don't expose yourself to the stories of other founders at your stage or just ahead of you or at some completely other stage, you will be surprised. Read their accounts. Ingest the lessons they learned. Engage with them on Twitter. Ask them questions. I certainly respond to every single question that I get from founders who are having trouble with something. And, I, and then they reach out to me in a friendly and non-entitled way. I respond to that. In my early founder years, I would see other founders that were very public on Twitter and other social media as one-sided mentors. They didn't even know that they'd help me, but they did. If you don't expose yourself to the ongoing journey of other founders at your stage or any other stage, you will miss things. Listen to their podcasts, whether um, they are just like podcasts about their product or podcasts about themselves, because they share what's going on with them, right? How they're overcoming the challenges that they're facing. Read the articles that they post on social media. Learn how they expand their view of the world. I found this one to be particularly instructive. No matter if you admire a founder or you find them holding somewhat questionable views on something, the content they share and that they consume will be relevant to the success of your business and your future in some way. 
And you likely won't know why until later. I loved reading articles about topics I didn't know anything about. Sometimes it just exploded the wiring in my brain and it reassembled in a completely different way. For some of these articles or kind of the content that was was, uh, shown to me, I would only understand why it's important many years later. And this kind of translates into just the expectations you can have of yourself. Think you know what your audience wants? Well, read a marketing book. Read different marketing books from different people who market for different industries. Follow Seth Godin's blog and read his books. That would be my personal recommendation. If you think he's taking marketing a bit too far, well, that's good. It will expand your horizons by just thinking critically about it. And if you think your product hunt launch will be great, take a slightly different approach. Don't just read about the things that work for other people. Read the many sources that failed at it. Look for people failing at the things that should work. Reset your expectations and find alternative ways. Because it's about being prepared for the things that you're not aware of, the unknown unknowns. And by exposing yourself to as much content, good or bad, about it, you will find these things. You will find some ways of dealing with them when they actually appear. Expose yourself to new technology as well, even if it's competing with what you're using right now. Let me give you a personal example here. I'm a developer and I have been for decades and I've built many full stack applications in many different programming languages. And I never thought to check out no code solutions. And there's this kind of chasm, this divide between coders and no coders, which in retrospect to me feels completely pointless because the goal is the same, building things easily with the skills that you attain in using the tools necessary to build them. I've recently taken a very long, good look at no-code tools because I'm involved in a project that um, uses them. And I found out two very interesting things. The first is you can build a lot without code. And the second is you can't build many things without code. And the solution to this, that you can build a lot, but you also can't build many other things, is also provided by the market. And it's connectivity tooling. Zapier, if this then that, Integromat, these tools are incredible because they're standardized, easy to use, and easy to build for when it comes to interfaces. And they are the APIs of no code. And the potential of supporting such a connectivity tool with your product is insane. It gives you immediate integration ability with every other tool in the ecosystem. I would never have understood how much of an opportunity this is without jumping over my developer shadow and trying to build something meaningfully complex with no code. Another response to my Twitter question from earlier, actually a response that multiple people gave, was that picking up poker has been very helpful in understanding risk. The inevitability of losing every now and then, and that not all is lost, even when you lose. I've seen poker being a very helpful tool that helps founders understand the concepts of strategy, of chance, and understanding other people's motivations. It's not the most reasonable thing to assume, but learning a card game can make a big difference for your success in business. There are a lot of people who feel uncomfortable bluffing or calling out their fellow players when they suspect them to bluff themselves. The great thing about poker is that it's a game, and even if you're not perfectly comfortable, it still really won't hurt you to play it. And this state of discomfort is where you want to be. 
This state of mind is what I've recently heard Rob Fitzpatrick, the author of the Mom Test book, call the zone of proximal development. You learn best when you're slightly out of your comfort zone. Not too little and not too much. If you're too comfortable where you are, you will suffer from selection and confirmation bias. You will just only do the things that you already know. And if you're too uncomfortable, you will be panicky and you will suffer from authority bias and pessimism bias. Ah, it won't happen anyway, or this person is so much smarter than I am. No matter which biases you actually experience, your awareness of them is most likely to happen when you are mostly a bit uncomfortable. When some, with some heightened awareness, some skin in the game, you will be painfully aware of how much you don't know and what you're influenced by. This will leave you in most control of what is what exactly is influencing your thinking. There are many resources that will help you detect cognitive biases like this and expose you to interesting thinking tools and frameworks. I recommend checking out a website that I found this week called untools.co, that's U-N-T-O-O-L-S.co, for thinking tools, and then something else called the Cognitive Bias Codex. You can Google Cognitive Bias Codex and see a really interesting graph there. I'll add those things to the show notes. It's a good idea to spend an evening or two every year to just refresh on how your rational mind might be encumbered and you don't even know. Another great way to look into this is reading the book The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf Dobelli because that's a very good introduction to the topic in a very narrative way. It has a couple of really good stories in there. If you keep an open mind and if you want to keep an open mind, Check in with yourself and your biases every now and then. You'll stay on top of what's going on. It has always been important for an owner of a business to synchronize their view of the world with the reality that they operate in. That will give you the best chances at making the biggest impact with your actions and build a business that succeeds. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at avidkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrappedfounder.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrappedfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and wherever you subscribe to the podcast. It will help other founders or founders-to-be to find this podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.